Good evening, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 23. You can find that on page 367 in your pew Bible. And as you're doing that, let me remind you that we are coming to the close of our Joshua series. And God's people have begun the task of, of living in the promised land. And so now we find ourselves in the last two chapters, which are Joshua's farewell speeches. Next week, Joshua will address the whole nation of Israel. But tonight, Joshua is addressing the leaders of Israel. And in essence, what he's doing is he's brought the team together. And we sort of get this feeling that we've stumbled into a team huddle, as it were. And that the game is, is on the line. What will Joshua say to his leaders? What will he do to rally them once he's gone? How he, what is that message going to be? Well, in many ways, the message that Joshua gives the leaders of Israel in our passage tonight is, is nothing new. It's the same as it's been throughout the book of Joshua. It's a call to covenant faithfulness. But as we'll see tonight, Joshua, as Israel's covenant mediator, gives one final push, one final exhortation that is both lovely and lethal. And what I mean is it's lovely because it highlights the faithfulness of God, the promise of blessing for continued Obedience, right? The more love God, obey God, and it will go well with you. And yet it's also lethal. Because Joshua reminds us tonight that sin and disobedience have consequences. And it's a message that was true for them, but it's true for us as well. It's true for us as God's covenant people who are called to covenant faithfulness. And so with that in mind, read with me Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel and its elders and heads, its judges and officers. And he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land, just as the Lord, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with the nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, 
And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to, fight, puts to flight a thousand, since, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For, it is your, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant, remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. This ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in the next few moments, we ask that you open our hearts. Give us ears to hear that we as a covenant people may grow to love and understand what it means to be with you in a covenant and in a promise. Change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, in one of my first seminary classes, I was tasked to read a book. It's a really, really thin book, very small book, entitled, Why Johnny Can't Preach. And the, the author of the book is, is a professor uh, written by T. David Gordon. He taught at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Massachusetts for a while, and he's been at Grove City College for, for a number of years. And the whole premise of the book is that if you take a survey, in his opinion, if you take a survey of Reformed churches in the United States, that good preaching is hard to find. And his reasoning, he goes through all this reasoning, but essentially he says that in the 1950s, there was a shift. And we went from a society that is heavily emphasizes reading and writing to a society that is dominated by images. And so his whole point is that Johnny can't preach because Johnny can't read, and Johnny can't preach because Johnny can't write. And I remember reading the book and thinking, this took a lot of guts. I mean, this guy takes off the gloves. He pulls no punches. He issues incredibly strong challenges to pastors and to congregations alike. And I found it odd that his intended audience, right, is the very audience that he attacks and he comes after. And that point, the point of how, how much he attacked this uh, came out as we were discussing the book in class. And I remember the professor reminded us that had we read the introduction, 
to the book, we would have understood what was going on. You see, T. David Gordon writes in the introduction that when he wrote the original manuscript in 2004, he had stage three colon cancer. And he had a 25% chance to survive. So he writes, I wasn't concerned about being nice. I was concerned that I wouldn't survive the year. And he wanted to make sure that he expressed his thoughts concerning the state of preaching. And he writes this, he says, Dr. Samuel Johnson is reported to have said, depend on it, sir, that when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. And he said, my cancer concentrated my mind wonderfully also. So perhaps I could have stated the matter a little less directly. But the cancer only concentrated my mind. It did not necessarily lighten my attitude. And I think that that's what we have here tonight in Joshua 23. While Joshua is not facing the gallows, he's an old man. He is aware that his departure from this earth is near. And so with a concentrated mind, Joshua calls the leaders of Israel together. And one last time, he wants to give them his parting words. These are the men and the people who will carry the baton, who will carry out the mission of inheriting the land. They have a long journey ahead of them. And so there's three things that I want us to look at briefly tonight regarding the call, this pointed call to covenant faithfulness. And if you're following along in your outline, you can see the first is a past worth remembering. The second is a present call to loyalty. And the third, a future warning to heed. First, a past worth remembering. Joshua begins his farewell speech. And he does so by reminding Israel's leaders of God's faithfulness to them in the past. Look at verse 3 with me. And you have seen, and you have seen, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to the nations for your sake. It is the Lord your God who has fought for you. You have seen. See, what that means is he's talking to the people and the men who had a front row seat to everything that has just taken place. They would have walked across the Jordan on dry ground and watched the walls fall at Jericho and been side by side with Joshua and their victory at Ai. They themselves, these were the ones who had entered the promised land, who had taken possession of it. And now Joshua is reminding them of what God has done. He's being very clear. This is what God did for you. Not for another nation, but for you. And we see this throughout the entire passage, really. If you go and look at verses 9 and 10, Joshua says, For the Lord your God has driven out before you great and strong nations. No man has been able to stand before you. The Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. Over and over again in this passage, we see Joshua reminding them of all that God has done. 
all that God has done for his chosen people. Remember, he says, who God is. God is the one who promised. God delivered. God conquered. God gave us the land, and he will continue to do so moving forward. And I think there's two things about this call that I, I think are interesting and worth remembering. And the first is this. It's a reminder that God's covenant faithfulness in the past was not just the ben- for the benefit of those who were present. See, this reminder was not just some holy huddle. right? They weren't just sharing secret information. These were the leaders of the nation that were called to go and do likewise. They were called to recount God's faithfulness to the next generation, to pass it on. And that's important because if you fast forward and you go to Judges 2, you find out they didn't do it. Right? Judges 2, 7. If you flip over, you, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. And it says this, Judges 2, 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And so we know for a season that they did it. But then if you go to Judges 2.10, at some point they stopped. Because this is what it says. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. At some point, that message got mixed up. At some point, that line was broken. And the stories of God's goodness stopped being passed down to his people. And thus, the people turned their backs on God. What a beautiful reminder that is for us today, especially in light of our new vision that was revealed this morning, commending the greatness of God in Jesus Christ, to all peoples and all generations. I had to read it. I've memorized it. But, you know, when you get up here, you just, you almost forget it. Commending the greatness of God in Christ Jesus to all generations and all peoples. As a church, we're called to commend the greatness of God. Our church has a wonderful youth and children's program and a team that is ready to help and to come alongside of you If you were here this morning, then you heard that in a church over 2,100 people, roughly one-third of our congregation is under the age of 18. We need you. We need you. My children need you. Our students need you to help us commend the goodness of God in Jesus Christ to the next generation and to all peoples. We need you. And so my plug right now is to encourage you next week to come to the joint Sunday school uh, ministry fair next week. Be a part of that. So we see the first thing regarding remembering is that we remember to pass it on. But the second part about remembering is this. In the call to covenant faithfulness, the indicative comes before the imperative. You see, before Joshua tells them what to do, and he's about to tell them what to do, he tells them why. He lays out the motivation for obedience. 
because of who God is, because of what he's done, this then is how you should live. Obedience doesn't earn God's love. It's a response to God's love. Friends, the same is true with us. That we want to have a gospel-centered obedience that is because of the love and the kindness and the mercy and the grace of Christ that we have been forgiven and received his perfect record and now called to respond in obedience. So covenant faithfulness involves reminding ourselves and the next generation of God's faithfulness to us in the past. That's point number one. Point number two, a present call to loyalty. Joshua deals with the past, but now he turns his attention to the present. And here he lays out what is required of them in order to remain faithful. And I think it's helpful to point out that we see both the negative here and the positive. As Sinclair Ferguson says, kingdom obedience works are always in the negative and the positive. It's never just don't do this or just do this, but it's always a both and. He says one, doing it one-sided would be disastrous. It's always a putting off and a taking off of the old self and a putting on the new. And so we see that here in Joshua. He gives us a list, a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And if you look at verse 6, he starts with a do. And interestingly, it's the same do that God tells Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1. You'll note the similarity. Verse 6, Therefore, be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. And so he says obedience is critical, but obedience is difficult, so he calls them to be strong. And we find another do in verse 8. Do this. Cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. Cling to God. Hold on for dear Life. It's the same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis chapter 2 talking about marriage where a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. There's this idea of clinging to the Lord. And finally, verse 11, we see Joshua says, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Joshua says, Be vigilant. Keep your love for God primary. But he doesn't just leave us with that. He have a whole list of do not as well. Don't turn, verse 6, from the left or to the right. Don't get sidetracked. Stay focused. Don't get distracted, verse 7. Don't mix with the other nations among you. Don't make mention, he says, of the names of their God. Don't serve them. Don't swear by them. Don't bow down to them. Back and forth, we see this mixture of positives and negatives, putting off and putting on, and this call to obedience. And then you get to verses 12 and 13, and again, he issues a warning that if the people intermarry, then it will be their downfall. Love God. Obey me. It will go well. 
But if you don't, if you get distracted, if you dabble, if you intermarry, then it's not going to end well for you. I'm not going to go into detail tonight, but I, last Sunday morning, Pastor Franks preached out of Ephesians about the importance of marrying in the Lord. And I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that. Students, it's a wonderful reminder that missionary dating is a terrible idea. They we're called to loyalty to God, number one. What a sobering reminder for us today that we as a covenant people are called to have a high view of God's word. We're called to have a high view for obedience to God's word, that it should have a high place in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And while obedience is difficult, it's crucial, and we know it all so well, don't we? In the words of the old 19th century hymn, Trust and Obey, Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Is that not the case? That walking in sin and darkness, though it may be gratifying and it may be fun, leaves us broken and empty. And we live at a time and a period where a culture where obedience it gets a bad rap, but for those of us who are followers of Christ and have been for any amount of time, we know that it really is best. That's why as parents, we give boundaries, we give guidance, we give rules to our children. Not because we seek to ruin their lives. Not because we are seeking to keep them from fun, but to protect them. For their safety. I want you to survive. I want you to thrive. Do this and it's going to go really well. Hey, don't do that because that's not going to end well. That's why when we take trips with our students, specifically youth trips, I always tell them three things. Three things I want you to do today. You do this and I can solve 90% of your problems. Drink water, take a nap, and wear sunscreen. I can solve so many things. And the problem is not that I don't want you to drink Mountain Dew three meals a day, every single day. The problem is, is that your body is not designed to drink Mountain Dew for every meal, right? It doesn't work that way. It's not going to go well for you. You're not meant to live on no sleep. Your body needs that. The rules and the guidelines help us to survive, but they help us to thrive. And yet how quickly we get distracted. And how quickly the slightest distraction can lead to major disaster and major issues. Which is why I think Joshua here calls us to put on spiritual blinders. He says, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. If you've spent any time around horses or mules, you know that the blinders are these big, big shields that they put on the animal's eyes, and it keeps them focused in one direction. It keeps them from being distracted from something over here or something over here, because if that animal, as big as it is, gets spooked or gets distracted, 
It's going to be a disaster for all who are involved. Just take a minute and encourage you tonight. Look at your life. Where do you need blinders in your life? Are there any small sins that you don't really see as a big deal? But in reality, they are. Are there things that you're saying yes to that you need to say no to and vice versa? Evaluate your finances, your relationships, your internet history, your personal health. Are there things that you are overlooking but in reality are robbing you of a fulfilling spiritual life? And if so, what blinders, what guardrails do you need to put in place to help you stay focused? Finally, the third point, if you look with me briefly, a future warning to heed. Verses 14 to 16, Joshua concludes his speech. And he reminds them, and I love this reminder, it's a beautiful reminder. You know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. God has been faithful to fulfill his promises and his blessings. But then he also warns that God is not just faithful to bless. But he's also faithful in his promise to curse, curse and to punish. Hit verse 15. But just as all the good things the Lord promised you have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods, and you bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from the land that he has given you. If you recall, God keeps his promise. These were his children. And though it went well for a while, eventually they failed. They failed to love God. They failed to walk and obedience, and God is faithful to his promise. And he removes them from the land and ultimately allows Israel's enemies to conquer them. And so here we sit tonight, and we may wonder, so what does this have to do with me? Well, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story, the old and the new testament. And that now that we live in the new covenant era, we know that the covenant that God made at Sinai with his blessings and its curses is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the greater Joshua who loved God perfectly, who obeyed God perfectly, and thus was worthy to receive all the blessings of the covenant. 
Yet instead of receiving the blessings, the blessings that he was due, he chose the opposite. And there on the cross, our Lord Jesus takes not the blessings for his obedience, but the curses for our disobedience. See, on the cross, Jesus takes what is due to us and he gives us what is due to him. Jesus in our place. And as a result, we no longer have to live in fear of the curses of the covenant. But instead, we are now the recipients of the covenant blessings. And the promise, so we're promised eternity with God. And we're promised heaven and a future inheritance. But we also have the promises of God and the promise of the presence of God in our lives today. You know, tonight, as I've been talking about the goodness of God, maybe to you it doesn't quite feel like it. Maybe right now life is full of pain. Disappointments, frustrations, and heartbreak, and hurt. And you may say tonight that uh, it's remembering God's promises, remembering God's goodness is not always easy. And to that I would say I agree. It's easy to forget God's goodness when the hits keep coming. And yet what a reminder this evening of the promises of God that Joshua speaks here. And that those promises are just as true for you today as they were for Israel. You know, this is something that my wife Kelly reminded me of after my sermon two weeks ago. She said, I kept waiting for you to mention it, and you didn't. So I'm mentioning it now because I do think that it fits perfect. But as God's covenant people now, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Friends, all the promises of God are made available to you tonight. If you are a follower of Christ, are you reminding yourselves daily of God's promises for your life? Are you allowing them to shape and mold your obedience, to motivate your obedience? Are you allowing the promises of God to change the way you view your circumstances? I didn't say change your circumstances, but change the way you view them. What are the promises of God that you are speaking over your children and over the covenant children of this church? And if you're looking for a quick Challenge and, and you don't have some other type of uh, daily devotion, let me, let me encourage you, this little book, The Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. It's written by Spurgeon. And a couple weeks ago, I, I stumbled across this at an estate sale, uh, and it has a daily scripture 
And then Spurgeon writes a little bit about what this promise of God really means and why it's yours and why to take hold of it and how to take hold of it. And sometimes he ends in a prayer. And and I've got to be honest, over the last few weeks, the book has wrecked me in an amazing way. And it's been a tangible way to speak the gospel to myself. Because I struggle. If I'm honest, I struggle to believe God's goodness sometimes. I struggle to, to take hold of what, of the promises and the blessings of grace. I struggle to believe that they're real. Surely not for me. And yet because of Jesus, the curses of the covenant have been paid. And the blessings are ours. And so I, I would encourage you to run and buy that book, quite frankly. <laughs> but even if not, find some type of Bible plan or devotion that uh, is a daily reminder of the beauty of God's work in your life as you seek to walk in obedience and faith to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, that your word is right, that your word is sure. That your word changes hearts that your word changes lives and changes marriages and relationships. Bless us. May we be a covenant people who walk in repentance and faith, who walk in obedience, clinging to the promises of God for our life. In Christ's name, amen.